3: Welcome to MLB Daily, your one-stop shop for daily baseball content. I am L. J. Lafuera. Alongside me, I've got Brandon Karam, and we are a belly-up sports podcast. We are what they aren't. Brandon, how you doing?
2: Doing good. Uh, certainly had a nice Fourth of July yesterday. And, uh, yeah, got back at it today. Uh, we have exactly, if you count today's games, uh, now seven days exactly left. Today was Monday. We got games all the way through Sunday, and then we got the All-Star break. So, uh, yeah, this is a time for teams where, you know, these next two series uh, came greatly impact their outlook for the rest of the year depending on how they perform uh some of those teams these series are very important others not as much so uh yeah there's certainly quite a bit of storylines that you can make out of uh this week and of course all-star week with the home run derby and everything is so much fun so we're in for a fun couple week stretch here
3: Yeah, well, let's get into this because we've got a pretty uh, consistent trend with three or four of these games today, starting with the Nationals and the Padres. Trey Turner went yard in the top of the first to give the Nationals the first lead of the game. In the top of the second, pitchers who rake. John Lester hits an RBI single to drive in the second run of the game. This would start a four-run rally in that second inning to put Washington up five. A Fernando Tatis home run, his 27th of the season, helps tie this game up by the end of the fourth inning. But a top-of-the-seventh Josh Bell home run and then an eighth-inning El cedis <laughs> RBI double makes this a 7-5 win for the Washington Nationals over the San Diego Padres. Give the win to Suero from Washington he went an inning in relief of John Lester who went three and a third allowing five runs, two earned with two strikeouts. The loss will go to Tim Hill of the San Diego Padres. Joe Musgrove got the start here going five innings allowing five earned with four strikeouts. The save will be given to Brad Hand his 19th of the year. And then we will be moving into the – Cardinals and the Giants next, continuing our little run here of NL West coverage. This game got didn't get scoring going until the top of the seventh, where a Matt Carpenter, of all people, triple, scored two runs for St. Louis. They're able to extend this out to a 3 nothing lead by the eighth inning, and then they add on to it in the ninth to put this game well out of reach as they beat the Cardinals 5-3. The win will go to Quang uh, Hyung Kim, 7 innings, 3 hits, shutout ball with 2 strikeouts. The loss will go to Kevin Gosman, 7 innings, 3 hits, 2 earned, 8 strikeouts, and for a very long time coming here in this game, he was looking at a no-hit bid. Ended up being uh, I believe it was Nolan Arenado here. His one of his two hits of the game broke that up in I want to say the sixth inning. So this was certainly a good start by Kevin Gosman, but unable to pull this out here.
2: Yeah, uh, I know we're going to talk about these group of games in a little, but that was certainly not a well pitched game by either team. Uh, both of the bullpens, not. Not doing what they were supposed to in that game. Uh, I am going to talk about the White Sox and the Twins, though, which Max Kepler gets us going. Eighth homer of the year in the bottom of the second. Twins take a two nothing lead. In the third, Trevor Larnick RBI single. The Twins extend that lead to three nothing. Jose Abreu goes deep in the top of the sixth. That puts the White Sox on the board and that's his 15th homer of the year however the twins go up six to one after a wild pitch and a nick gordon triple in the sixth inning but the white Sox stage a bit of a comeback as they score four in the top of the seventh they get a leary garcia or two rbi single and then a Juan Mankata, Uh, two RBI triple, and the White Sox pull within a one. Twins would lead six to five after uh, seven innings. In the bottom of the eighth, though, the Twins do clutch up and get some uh, insurance runs. Max Kepler, second home run of the night, and then Andrelton Simmons, sack bunt that scores a run. Twins go up eight to five, and they win by that score. Uh, The win goes to Bailey Ober. For the Twins, five innings, two hits of scoreless ball and seven Ks. The loss goes to Dylan Cease and really got a roughed around tonight. Five and a third, six hits, six runs, eight strikeouts. Hansel Robles picks up his eighth save on the season.
3: Next up, we've got the Marlins and the Dodgers. All-star Chris Taylor and Near all-star Justin Turner both drove in runs in the top of the third to make this a 2-0 ball game early. But right after that, Miami scores the next four, four unanswered to make this a 4-2 Miami game. They end up winning this on a bottom-of-the-eighth solo home run by Jorge Alfaro, his third of the season, and Miami wins it 5-4. Give the win to Hess out of the bullpen. Rodgers started for Miami today. Went five innings, allowing six hits to earned. And uh, I'm sorry, eight strikeouts. The loss will go to Victor Gonzalez. He came in relief today for the Dodgers, pitching that final inning and allowing that home run. Walker Bueller started this one going five innings, allowing five hits and three earned runs with six strikeouts. And Bender was the save participant for Miami in this one. So we are now counting this as four teams that are very serious contenders at this point in the season. The Padres, the Giants, the White Sox, and the Dodgers all go down tonight. I mean – and 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 the majority of it isn't. Yeah, I would be willing to say, yeah, it's not. None of it was good competition. Brandon, what was going on here tonight?
2: Yeah, no, uh, that's a tough. Like it's a tough loss for all those teams. I mean, you expect the Padres at home to take care of the Nats, and yes, the Nats are trying to get there. I mean, but the entire ML East has just been trying to 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 a jump start the entire. You know this season so uh they're still a game under 500 of course they uh, pull off that win uh against the padres you uh, look at the giants i mean the cardinals have been one of the coldest teams in the league over the past month they're now two games under 500 well they entered three games under 500 and the Giants, you know, they kind of waste a good Kevin Gosman start. Uh I would say more than good. I mean, seven innings, two earned, three hits is yeah, that's yeah, I would say that is a more than good. But even they get they're able to jump on Alex Reyes too, which is just like they were able to score runs on him, and it just sucks because. They, they're, they're a bullpen, couldn't get the job done. They certainly weren't using their high leverage guys, but uh, that's just, I don't know. This is, there, I, I would feel really bad about the Sauce if I'm a Giants fan because they, this is the type of thing that it could happen in any playoff game and this could just haunt you later in the year.
3: Absolutely. There were five division leaders that played tonight that lost. Four of them lost to a team below 500. I mean, you're not going to see that stretch very often all in the same day, but this Giants one, I think, I think this Giants one kills more than any. Yeah, he went through, he went six full, I'm sorry, six and a third, no hit. And they got him no run support and did everything they could in their, possibly in their power to throw this away in the late innings.
2: I mean, Kwon Kyung Kim, you know, uh, like you said, Kevin Gosman with the no hitter. Kwon Kyung Kim, seven innings, three hits scoreless. You know, for this Giants offense, I just feel like for as much as they've been overperforming this year, they've done exactly that, right? They're overperforming. These guys we weren't projecting to be this good offensively. This is a weak lineup that they had tonight, you know, with Noah Buster Posey uh, with him exiting the game a couple of days ago. LJ, you know, they got just reading through this this lineup, their top four of Austin Slater, Tyro Estrada, Wilmer Flores, Darren Ruff. Now, uh, Darren Ruff is not bad and Tyro Estrada has played okay for them, but. That's not ideal, especially when they're only all-star in this lineup, Brandon Crawford, they're hitting sixth. I don't know. That just seems a bit. I, um, I would like to see an explanation on that too. Yeah.
3: Um, I mean, I, I, I get it. He's not the most prototypical guy for a lot of those early lineup slots, but when you're this, when you have so many guys out right now, I feel like you kind of have to shake things up, even if it's not the most traditional move. I mean, they did that in Washington, and look how well it's turned out for them with Kyle Schwarber so far. So even if it was a one even one game somewhere up there, even if it doesn't make sense, having a leader like that up there. But, I mean, you look at this, Brandon. I can give you two guys. I think I'll be fair and say two guys that I truly feel comfortable with being like an offensive anchor in this game, Darren Ruff and Brandon Crawford. And they're they're just, they're just, they're just missing a lot of pieces right now that I think if this, again, if this was a playoff game, first off, they wouldn't be playing St. Louis. However, if this is a playoff game. This, lo- this lineup wouldn't look anything close to it. This is the type of lineup that really does scream close to the All-Star break as you're kind of, you know, being a little more relaxed with rest days. Um, not that you're not trying to win, but, like, if you can extend some of these guys' rest period in the week before the All-Star break so you can have a nice strong push after, I think you do it. And, of course, you know, Buster Posey isn't getting any younger – I know, and you still have other significant offensive pieces on the IL, in, in addition to p- major pitching, major pitchers, starting pitching. So overall, this team will look a lot different when you've got guys like Evan Longoria, Brandon Belt, and Mike Talkman
2: back in this
3: team, looking like. It'll, it'll look like a real major league, like the normal.
2: Yeah, I don't know when uh, Tommy Listella's coming back. He's been out for quite a while, hmm. but uh, he's, he was really good in 2020. He's a really solid player, and uh, they could certainly use another utility infielder. As, yeah, right now it's tough. They got Lamonte Wade at first base. They're kind of rotating away. Wilmer Flores, Darren Ruff, Tyro Estrada—they're trying to get them in there. They got other guys too. I mean, they—you know—this this this roster right now, they have like 14 hitters or 15 hitters. You don't see that now, especially with teams uh, keeping a shorter bench. Of course, the NL more more double switches in that, so you will. So you do want uh, quite a few extra hitters but uh yeah like lj said he ran through those names brandon bell evan longoria of course that one stat that we uh, bring up sometimes good piece of hitting percentage evan longoria has ranked very highly in this year uh really he's having a nice year and it sucks that he's been out since early june but uh yeah hopefully those guys can come back soon they can get Aaron Sanchez back. Uh, he's been out since the beginning of May. So, yeah, the Giants will be getting reinforcements, but uh, they have certainly overperformed all expectations.
3: Yeah, I would say expectations. I would not, I certainly would not say with this group ability. No. Because many of these guys that are overperforming expectations are guys that have performed to this ability in the past guys like Evan Longori, guys like Buster Posey, and the guy we haven't talked about, again, we'll bring him up in a few weeks with our missing persons. We should probably add him to the list. Mike Yastrzemski has a lot more in him Mike than he Yaz. has given this year. Mikey has can do far more than he has let on with his performance this year. So that might that might be a guy who you see get really hot in September and be influential in the postseason.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, that guy finished eighth in MVP voting in 2020. I mean, his season was no joke. And, you know, it sucks because he was still eligible for the Rookie of the Year, I think, in 2020. Or, no, he had just missed the eligibility. This is only his third year in the league, and he's 30 years old. I mean, certainly a late bloomer. And, LJ, the thing with him is, most guys when they turn 30 with the exception of you know the one famous one Raul Banez, who hit more more homers in his 40s than his 20s uh but yeah i don't know it just seems like if if you get this late start if he has this year, if if he has this down year which to say a down year of a 120 OPS plus but to see that drop all the way like OPS drop over 170 points You know, and then you're 30 years old already. It just seems like it's kind of a nightmare to be in. Oh, I – all right. are you talking for the team or for him? I mean, like, a bit of both because it's, like, for the team, like, yes, you still have control over him, but I don't know how much leverage you'll want over a guy who's going to be hitting free agency when he's, like, 34, and only, like, that would be his sixth year. Then as a player, it's also like you are 34 and you've only played a couple of years in the majors. Yeah, good, but it's like, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a weird situation. You see, I don't see this as
3: anything to worry about if you're the team, because if I were the Giants, I would just be operating with Mikey Mike Yaz as if he was a normal prospect, as if he was a 23-year-old. That they weren't planning on holding on to like, you should just like, you're not going to be handing him out anything long term, you're not going to hand him out a three, a four year, four or five year deal. At age at age 34, he's not going to be nearly worth that to you. So you're better off just making sure you have a good right field prospect coming up in a few years, and ride this out and get the most production out of him you can, and not really sweat that like sweat it like that. Like I mean, just I'm I'm looking at him as a prospect that they only are focused on for six years. I'd be more concerned if I was Mikey Yaz because if you want to get any form of like legitimate payday you need to actually prove that you're going to be able to produce at a high level in your late
2: 30s yeah and he would only like reasonably you couldn't give him more than like a three-year deal because it'd be like how you know how long can we trust that you're gonna stay healthy stay productive i think the reason why i'd be a bit more concerned if you're the giants is that they have the oldest offense in the league by quite a large margin Uh, by about seven tenths of a year. They uh just their average hitter is 30 years, 30.6 years old. The next closest is the angels at 29.9. I don't know. It just seems like with all these old guys and the giants don't have Like, they have one very good prospect in Marco Luciano, but other than that, they don't have a ton of great prospects. Uh, After that, it's a bit of a weak farm system. You know, I don't know, especially with the way that the Dodgers and Padres' futures look. We know that L.A. is certainly not scared to just open up the checkbook for any free agent. Giants could be in a bit of trouble in the future, and I'm not saying that It's a bad thing. I certainly love this team and what they've done this year. But you have to acknowledge that they got the oldest team in the league. A lot of what they've been carried on this year is from guys who are in their mid-30s and in a couple of years are not going to be relevant. So they're just in an interesting situation. But Farhan Zahadi is certainly a very smart man there at the helm. And uh, I trust that he can maneuver his way through these next few years it is interesting but to further illustrate my point of you
3: don't need to really care about him i mean yeah you are the oldest team your window to be relevant your window to potentially win a world series if things line up right is incredibly small it's this i would i would say at, at at maximum it would be two years like in a perfect idealized world so with that being said what does it matter what LA is going to do a year from now what does it matter what Mikey Yaz is doing three years from now if you can put up a team for short-term gain that's all that's going to matter
2: yeah I mean if they can claim a title and then well yeah just like that's that's the trade-off that that you could make it is like do you would you rather have one title and then you know, after that, you just kind of let everyone ride off into the sunset and then you just kind of retool, rebuild for the future? or would you rather have that team that's consistently good consistently making the playoffs and like yes they they do get a title, but it's not like it's it's not like this. you know what I mean,
3: yeah, yeah, honestly, I think one of the most foolish things people can do in Analyzing sports is treating a trade as just its very end result. Like if you are just looking at a trade five years down the line and saying, okay, who won the trade? You're a fool because there is legitimate short-term value to any deal. And a lot of times a smart, smart management is able to, Capitalize on that, and they will. They are willing to risk short, long term loss for that short term gain, if that means that their short term gain can result in something really, really good. And so, like, like if you're able to, again, I guess my point is, like, if you're able to win a championship because of moves that might set you back a year or so in your rebuild, then that's a hundred percent worth it. You may end up being bad you may end up missing more years of the playoffs because you went for that one championship however at least you got closer to a championship then than you would in that entirety of the time maybe for another
2: 10 12 years yeah you know that's a great point but I also think you have to take into account uh it's a business and the Team owners certainly have a different outlook on the team than the GM. Sometimes the owners in a perfect world, you are good and the team is profitable. We've seen teams be good and not profitable like the Tampa Bay Rays who are a consistently good team. Yeah. Well, some... Whose idea was it to put in the same Pete? Well, you know, it's that, you know, it's their, it's their scumbag owner. It's whatever they're, Consistently one of the best teams in the league, yet they have the worst financials out of out of every team. You look at a team like the Miami Marlins, who's in a big city, and they won two titles, but you know, like at what cost? Like they won two titles in their franchise's history. They've only been around since the mid nineties, or I believe early nineties, but they've had two titles and then twenty years of just terrible of like intentionally being a last place team or well, like maybe not intentionally but i don't know it's just what kind of trade-off do you take to win a title like you said like how do you weigh the short-term gain of a trade compared to the long-term gain because i do think we do get a bit too wrapped up in oh well they ended up winning that trade in the long term it's like yeah but look what happened that year like at those teams are paying teams are overpaying at the trade a deadline to acquire assets that help them that year. That's the point of it. That's why teams are selling, not selling it off. Like it's a perfect balance. And I think that's why the trade deadline and everything like that is so important. And it's too, it's you're right. It's unfair to judge trades solely based off of long-term impact. Absolutely. And, be-
3: and before I get into this Mets Brewers game next, Uh, I think a great example of that very easily or at least easily could turn into the Mookie Betts trade because we're looking at it right. You look at it now and the Dodgers did that and it was the last piece they really needed to put them over the top for a championship was getting him and getting a near MVP guy. However, then again, the, the longer we start to look at this, the longer this contract plays out, that they've that the Dodgers have, and odds are, as with many, if not all, big contracts in baseball, this is not going to work out for the team by the end of the deal. And arguably, what the Red Sox hoped to achieve from trading Wookiee bets with their lack of depth has largely been solved through those moves. So, we could be in a scenario where the Red Sox are a contender a few years down the line and people largely will say, okay, the freedom that they were able to get from that is good, but we can't lose sight of the fact that they won a championship because they made that move.
2: Yeah. Like they, they certainly could have gave up enough where the Red Sox do, do end up getting the better end of the deal. And they, you know, they don't have to make such a big investment into Mookie Betts they get Alex Verdugo and everything but you're absolutely right we can't overlook the fact that Mookie Betts is one of the main reasons why the Dodgers won the title absolutely all right next up we've got the Mets and the Brewers
3: this game started with a solo home run by Omar Narvaez his eighth of the year but then along came the New York Mets Dom Smith Pete Alonzo and Michael Conforto all drive in runs to help push them to a 4-1 lead by the end of the seventh inning. They win this one at a score of 4-2. to Give the win to Seth Lugo out of the bullpen. The starter of this game for the New York Mets was Tyler McGill. Pitches a very nice game here. Five innings, two hits, one earned, and seven strikeouts. The loss goes to Brandon Woodruff, six and a third, Four hits, four earned, and six strikeouts. The save goes to Edwin Diaz, his 18th of the season.
2: All right. The Rays and Indians played a wild one at the drop. Those games always seem to come through. And it starts off with Brandon Lau hitting a grand slam, his 17th home run on the season. And that makes it a 4 nothing Tampa lead in the second inning. However, uh, in the fifth, the Indians tie it up at five after they get a Jose Ramirez RBI single, a Fran Mil Reyes two-run bomb. And it's 5-5 uh, after five innings. The Indians take the lead in the sixth on a Cesar Hernandez single, and then a two-RBI Fran Mil Reyes double makes it Indians, but the Rays had a rally in their bones, scoring in the sixth inning on a Manny Margot single to pull within two would be 8-6. Yandy Diaz homers in the seventh to pull within one. It's 8-7. Bottom nine, Wander Franco comes through with the big hit uh, to so, excuse me, I actually I I should set this up a bit. We're tied at eight in the ninth The Indians call on Emmanuel Classe after James Karinczak pitches a clean eighth inning. He faces Manny Margot first. He rips a single uh, off of Klasse. Hits him, goes to second baseman, safe at first. Randy Orozarena steps up next. He rips a single to center field. So now it's first and second with no outs. Mound visit, Wander Franco steps up. He rips a single, three straight singles. That scores a run. We are tied at eight. Now, uh, they intentionally walk Austin Meadows, and they get a fielder's choice, which scores a run after that. Rays walk it off, win nine to eight. Uh, And, yeah, kind of a wild finish that, that a fielder's choice basically goes right to Cesar Hernandez. And just not in time, not able to corral the ball and throw it home in time to get the force out. And the Rays walk it off after being down by as much as uh, 8-5 to in the sixth inning. You can give that win to Pete Fairbanks out of the Tampa Bay bullpen pitch, a clean top of the ninth. The loss goes to Emmanuel Classe. No outs recorded, three hits, two runs. Uh season ERA still okay though at 1.51. Uh the start went to Logan Allen three in the third, five early runs.
3: All right, Brandon. You you gotta remember, I mean, yeah, yeah, flub there. It's all about the foreplay. If you're if, if you're gonna set up a big moment, you gotta get the foreplay right, Brandon.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. All
3: about foreplay. If I can teach anyone that let's get into this Red Sox angels game with a little, only a little bit of foreplay to start this one top of the second Christian Arroyo. It's his first game back from the IL and he sends a piss missile out of the yard, his fifth of the year to get this team on top. Rafi adds his first RBI of the game later that inning to make this a two Oh game. Now at a 2-1 score, we go to the top of the fourth where Rafi Devers hits his 21st piss missile of the year, this one right out to right center field, scores Kike Hernandez and gets him his third RBI of the game, not one, not two, but three RBIs for Sir Rafi, top of the fifth. We see Danny Santana with runners in scoring position, and he hits a line drive to center field, makes this a five-one game, and we continue on in this game as the Angels slowly try to tip, chip away. We get to a five-two game by a David Fletcher RBI, a Jose Rojas home run makes this a five-three game in the seventh, and that score will carry over into the ninth inning with. Adam Ottavino on the mound to close this out after. It took 33 pitches from Matt Barnes to dispose of the A's the day before. Brandon, this is where the real foreplay begins because this last inning, all about the shift. We get we get walks on some, I'm not going to complain about balls and strikes, but brutal bottom part of the zone in this early part. Get a walk to bring Jose Glacius on. Adevino strikes out the next two batters before Jose Rojas gets back up and they shift on him, and he hits it clean through the out the backside of that shift. This will score Iglesias and make this a five-four game with him on second base or first base, excuse me. David Fletcher then gets a single and moves it up the runners up to first and second with Shohei Otani at the mound. They shift over onto the right side of the field for him, hoping for a slightly better result than last time. Ottavino, rightfully nervous. As this guy has hit, I believe they were saying it was 14 home runs in his last 21 or 17, 19.
2: Does that sound it, right? It, it's just, it's, it, it's, it's a, a great lot in a very little hit. time. I, I, I'm pretty sure like 15 of his last 21 hits have been home runs or something insane.
3: So rightfully he was scared. And so we get into this at bat. It's a 3-1 count. Ottavino gives him something he can he can hit a little bit. And Shohei Otani rips a ground ball out to right field, right to Christian Arroyo. The shift giveth, the shift taketh away. And the Red Sox win this one five to four. Give the win to Martin Perez, he went five and a third, allowing eight hits, two runs, only one earned with three strikeouts. The loss will go to Jose Suarez, who only went three innings in this one, allowing two earned runs and three strikeouts with four walks. The save goes to Adam Adovino, his seventh, and a couple other interesting stats here in this game. The Red Sox managed two outfield assists in this game one from hunter renfro and another from danny santana this puts them at 29 outfield assists on the year nine ahead of the next closest team
2: the red sox have now also won 10 out of their last 11 games
3: the red sox are also the first team in the mlb to 54 wins the other the other one i wanted to mention here is um josh taylor pitches I believe a full inning or an inning in a third. It was an inning and a third of shutout ball this time again, no hit ball, which extends his scoreless appearance streak to 26 games dating back to the end of April, meaning he is now one inning away from tying, the, tying Koji Uriha, Uihara's record for most consecutive scoreless innings by a Red Sox pitcher. He's running away with the left-handed mark.
2: Wow, very impressive. All right, Tigers and Rangers. I honestly don't know what adjective to use for this one other than that it was what you would expect from a Tigers Rangers game. LJ, through the first six innings, the Tigers go up six nothing. Here's how they do it. Nomar Mazzara ground into force out that scores a run.
1: You really can sell to anyone from anywhere.
0: This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Start selling online today. Sign up for a free trial at Shopify.com slash free22. Shopify.com slash free22. Shopify.com slash free22. Internet connection required. Not available on mountaintops or seafloors.
2: Okay. Nomar Mazar reaches on fielding error that scores a room. Willie Castro. This
3: is really good foreplay, Brandon. I'm really getting the feeling of this game.
2: Oh, yeah, no. uh, Trust me. (laughs) This is my my, tone of voice here is about what I imagine watching this game was like. Because then Willie Castro makes it 4-0 with a sacrifice bunt. Okay? It's exciting baseball. It's 4-0. We've had a ground out, an error, and a bunt. (laughs) Then Zach Short finally homers. So if you weren't paying attention to the game, did it go far? Uh, it doesn't show on ML on um, with the, the site I look. I, I mean, can't. if it's, if it's Zach Short, I have
3: to imagine it barely got over the fence.
2: But yeah, no. Well, Zach Short then tops himself in the eighth. Oh no, I guess not. Sacrifice fly. <laughs> so the Tigers are up seven nothing. It's for those runs on a sack fly sack bunt, fielding error in a ground into a force out. The Rangers in the bottom of the ninth when they're down seven, nothing just go, okay, we're going to hit two home runs now we're going to show up Uh, Joey Gallo and Jonah Heim both go deep, but the Tigers win this one seven three, they get a great start from Willie Peralta, though who the 32-year-old fires off seven scoreless innings, three hits, six Ks, and no walks. LJ, now on the year, he's thrown 21 innings and has a 2.14 ERA, a .86 whip. I mean, sure, 20 innings is not a lot, but that's a solid sample for four games, 2.14 ERA. Like, okay, Willie Peralta, I mean, certainly the Tigers will take anything they can get from a starter. The oh, loss...
3: That's yeah. definitely a positive.
2: The loss goes to Colby Allard, five and a third. Uh, five runs allowed, only two of them earned uh, in striking out nine batters.
3: All right, well, we will move from that game over to the Pirates and Braves game, which, I mean... I would have done everything in my power to move them up into that first group if they had at least been close to winning the division after how pathetic this loss is. Freddie Freeman doubles in the top of the first to give Atlanta the lead. That was about as far as the good times went here. As Ben Gamal hits a home run in the bottom of the fourth, the Pirates will wait until the sixth inning to start A mega rally here, scoring four in the sixth, including another RBI from Ben Gamel. A Ben Gamel home run in the bottom of the seventh scores three runs. And then a key Brian Hayes two-run piece makes this an 11-to-1 Pirates win over the Atlanta Braves. Give the win to Chase DeYoung, Five innings, four hits, one earned, and four strikeouts. The loss will go to Max Freed. He went five innings, allowing six earned runs and five strikeouts. And the man we are all waiting for, Ben Gamble, five, three for five with six RBIs.
2: Have yourself a day. I mean, why not? Sure. The Pirates' biggest win against Atlanta in 11 years. Actually, 12 years. Excuse me, 12 years. Wow. Very impressive. Well, the Reds and the Royals faced off and it was Eugenio Suarez opening it up with a ground into double play that nets a run and the Reds go off one nothing until Carlos Santana in the third doubles and we're tied at one. We're, uh, we're still tied at one in the sixth as Jorge Soler, uh, Doubles down the left field line that scores Carlos Santana. The Royals go up two to one, but in the top of the seventh, Nick Castellanos and Eugenio Suarez both hit their 17th homers of the year. Suarez is, is a three run bomb. Where did Castellanos go? It was a fly ball to left center field and that made it a two to two ball game.
3: I don't know if I'm gonna put on this headset again.
2: I think the most anti-climactic <laughs> thing about the whole that whole thing is that the ball that Casanos hit in that clip lands in the planet fitness judgment-free zone. And <laughs> the whole premise of the thing is that the Tom Brenneman was judging uh, people. It's on code air.
3: justice. Try, try, people try to say that baseball isn't poetry.
2: I don't know, man. No, that's it's certainly very good. Uh Suarez's home run, three-run bomb that makes it five to two Cincy. They go on to win this one six to two over the Royals. Vladimir Gutierrez takes the win, six innings, two earned and six strikeouts. The loss to Mike Minor, six innings four earned, and six Ks for him.
3: Next up, our final of the night. Yes. Yes, Phillies-Cubs scoring will start with two runs apiece in a span of three innings for both teams. Here, Jake Marisnik and Andrew Knapp started with home runs for their respective teams, but then the onslaught started for the Philadelphia Phillies, Didi Gregorius goes yard, Andrew McCutcheon, Reese Hoskins, Alec Bohm, Ronald Torres, Adubel Herrera. You might think I'm just reading off their entire roster, but all of these guys contribute RBIs to this winning effort, while Reese Hoskins and Alec Bohm also add home runs here. The Phillies beat the Cubs 13-3. to I believe that is that 10 straight losses for the Cubs? Yes. That is, look, after the Cubs were leading the division, this is now 10 straight losses for Chicago, and we are in July. They are now below five hundred after leading less than two weeks ago. This is quickly turning into Kansas City Royals range in terms of worst collapses. Actually, I think this might have passed it.
2: Well, LJ, I think that uh, the Cubs now have a very easy choice to make. it's time to sell. Yes. It's give absolutely- me back Craig Kimbrell. I'm I mean, look, they have no, but here's the thing. They have so many pieces to sell. Oh, yeah. I mean, they would be stupid to not uh trade away uh Ryan Tapera, Andrew Chafin, uh Craig Kimbrell, Chris Bryant, Wilson Contreras. At least shop those guys around. I mean, I know for a fact that look it would be very stupid for the cubs to not to uh not trade chris bryant and then let him walk which i mean look lj if they don't trade him he's gonna resign right like there's no way he doesn't you have to resign him like do we really think that he's gonna leave like do you blame him if he leaves, though? I mean, he's he's kind of had enough since twenty.
3: Actually, the, the more I think about it, they need to trade him. Because I'm looking at it in my head. Again, don't know the situation. I don't know how tenable things are with Chris Bryant in that front office. If I were Chris Bryant, things would not be good. I'm not even sure if I would accept an offer from them now after they were threatening to trade me. After they screwed around with my money for a year, um, I, I I could very easily see a situation where he is very difficult in negotiations with them. But if I were the Cubs right now, you have Contreras, you have Bryant, you have Rizzo, you have Baez. Um, am I forgetting anybody else? The hitters, not really. You have Kimbrel. I'll give you five stars on that team, or at
2: least. Very, very good pieces. Did you mention? Did uh, you say Anthony Rizzo? Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's what I thought. I. Oh, uh, Jock Jock Peterson is has been solid this year. Too.
3: Yeah, but he's under contract, so I'm not really gonna.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah, he, I see. What, I see. He's where also you're
3: he's on. also not a legacy guy, or not legacy guy, but like long term member. Um. Yeah. You need to settle on one of those five. You need to lock him up right now. Preferably even before the deadline. And you need to ensure the fact that you get something for every single one of the other four, because uh, you need, you need, you need to keep at least one of them for the optics, but at the same time, you also cannot, you cannot afford to let any of them just walk out. Right.
2: If they don't trade Craig Cambrell, like I seriously question what the front office is doing. Like he's, the most obvious. Obviously, we know at the trade deadline, high leverage relief pitchers uh, are very highly touted. Every team could use one. Whether you think that or not, trust me, your team could use it. You're going to want it.
3: If you don't think your team needs it, then you are the problem. (laughs)
2: Let me just say, I will never be mad that my team tried to upgrade in the bullpen like I will never be mad at the attempt to at least try to upgrade in the bullpen and I mean Craig Kimbrell the way he's been pitching this year some team is going to offer a lot for him and there's a lot of teams that could use him LJ I think the Red Sox like you said I mean the Red Sox, I think, are going to be one of the more active teams in this trade market because they're kind of – They're, in they're that-
3: either going to be very active or completely inactive. And I, again, wouldn't be shocked with either, wouldn't be upset with either. But, yeah, I, I, I could see them going for any of, in this order, starting pitcher, reliever, center fielder, left-handed first baseman. I think that would be the order of importance. But yeah, I could certainly see them going for something, especially if like, all right, the the thing is, Craig Kimbrell will have a market. I don't think we'll be in that market. But if he all of a sudden didn't have a market, they better be calling.
2: LJ, we're doing pretty good on time. I wanted to bring up one thing that I talked about on my, uh, when it was just me on the episode the other day. Uh, So I read an article, I think it was on MLB Trade Rumors, the Diamondbacks said that they are more than likely not going to trade Cattell Marte. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to get your your thoughts on that. I mean, he was a guy who you we were like 100% sure was going to get dealt. Like, I, I guess it makes sense because yeah, I mean, it, he is so young. Like, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. He's, oh, I mean, actually, he's going to be He's almost 28 years old. I mean, yeah, no. If they like really expect him, because he only has two years of service time left, too. Clearly that that they'll spend money with him, but this Madison Bumgarner contract is just gonna buoy this team down for so just they got money on the books for him through 2024. All right, before I get into Quetel Marte, I do
3: have to say, I genuinely do not understand that contract. Because the contract they gave Madison Baumgartner with the play he was, like, with his current form when he was leaving San Francisco, that's the type of money you give a guy when you think he is the last piece you need in order to be a contender. Yeah. Arizona really thinks that they were, like, all the way there. And they didn't sign him until after they got rid of uh, um what do you call it Is that Granke, right
2: yeah but they, yeah but I think the Diamondbacks well they they won the the wild card game in 2017 like they won 90 something games that year the second to last year they had Paul Goldschmidt so that would be yeah, 2017 okay. They lost. It. Let me pull it up. Okay, so they got swept by the Dodgers in the NLDS that year. But then they—I think that's when they went out and signed Zach Greinke. Was it 2018? No, it was definitely not 2018. He was was Zach Greinke. 2018. 2018
3: was his four-wheeler accident,
2: or not Zach Greinke? Um, I mean, I'm, I mean Mass and Okay, so they don't. I'm 90% Bum-Brunner. sure that 2018 was his accident. So they signed Madison Bumgarner in 2020. It was 2020. Okay, yeah, that doesn't make any sense to me then. Because nope. in 2019, you were 85 and... Okay, no, well, okay, you were 85 and 77. You finished... You were 85 and 77, in but you traded
3: your best pitcher. <sighs> you dealt your best pitcher at the yeah. deadline. So, like it, it's really
2: it's, log-
3: it's logically inconsistent. The way that the way in which that they they decided to go about, like, are we good? Are we not? Is this gonna like? In my opinion, with that team, eighty five and seventy seven, you didn't really have a bona fide superstar offensively, much less a couple that could really carry the offense. You didn't have your ace anymore.
2: So, no, Patel that Marte wasn't... was there. He he was he, right. he had a
3: but that free... wasn't enough.
2: Patel no, Marte oh, yeah, hasn't no, been enough enough. it wasn't enough.
3: wasn't enough then. You you don't have Granke anymore, so you don't have your ace. You're now entirely asking Madison Bumgarner to do that. So you're giving a contract you shouldn't be giving, and even if you were in that position, let's say that they were a 90 win team last year and they thought they could be a high 90s team, compete for the division, compete for the World Series if they brought Madison uh, another starter in, another high-level starter. Madison Baumgartner is not that guy.
2: No, yeah. We we could tell um, for the last couple it was it's been. 30, it's 34
3: starts, 390 ERA. Um, I'm trying to look whip. Whip was fine. But overall, it's just those were not numbers that blew you away. I you didn't you didn't feel good watching him, in my opinion, and so it just feels like you could kind of see this coming. When they gave him that big a deal, like the, this isn't the guy that you choose to give that deal to. You're not that guy, pal. Trust me, you're not that guy.
2: No, they aren't that guy. And to prioritize that over I don't know your farm system or any of that just seems a bit. Unideal for me, but we have a Hall of Fame pick to do. And then we have a new segment that we want to debut at the end of the show. Uh, so, yeah, LJ, you, I'll let you take it away.
3: Yes. So just to go over the rules again for the Hall of Fame, we are trying to assemble over the next many years of this podcast, a MLB Daily Hall of Fame in which we vote in one person from an MLB organization that we think is worthy of this either their current performance past performance there's no real criteria doesn't even have to be performance based it's whoever we think we want to put in we want to honor in that way the only limitation is they have to be an active member of the organization in some way shape or form for them to be able to be eligible so in past weeks we have done everyone From Zach Granke to Jesus Aguilar for the Marlins. We've done uh, Terry Francona with the Indians.
2: Um, Eric Neander for the Rays. They're GM.
3: Eric Neander. um, Who were some of the early ones?
2: Brock Holt for the Rangers. Yeah. Xander Bogarts for the Red Sox. I believe I picked DJ LeMahieu for the Yankees. Yes. Um. Yeah, I think are that all the ones we've done? I think no, well, there's more. I'm I'm struggling to look at the. I'm trying
3: struggling to find the schedule that we had. Ah, uh, but it's got to be. That's something.
2: okay. Oh yeah. no, we did the Mets. Um, and the Phillies. The Before, other
3: um, yep. Uh, Orioles was John Means.
2: Bryce Harper for the Phillies.
3: Twins was. What happened to John Buckson. Means?
2: John means <laughs> you know I mean? is John means okay? Me and you remember because we were saying when John Means was in the Cy Young conversation, that's all Orioles fans could talk about. And now, don't 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 talk
3: too much about it because we got to save it for add it to the list. Mookie yeah. Betts, Mike, Mikey As, John Means,
2: um, the Nationals. What do we think?
3: Nationals entirely. Oh, I think the Nationals entirely fell off the face of the earth. Oh, no. Um, Nationals, my thoughts here, I mean, I love Soto. I don't want to disrespect him. I do not intend to disrespect him. However, can we really choose anyone else but Kyle Schwarber after the season that he has had? I mean, the tear, the, the legend. This is like – like, this is a guy who is the prototypical 3 four, five hitter in a lineup. Like, that pure power guy that you fit wherever the left-right matchup fits well. He's not going to be your best hitter in your lineup, but he's going to be a very solid bat that's going to hit the crap out of the ball. Um, I mean, yeah. So you put that guy now in a genius position. I'm not sure why more teams haven't thought of it earlier because, I mean, you see so many fastballs as the leadoff hitter. Like, you don't want to walk the leadoff guy is the last thing you want to do to start a game. So you you get attacked much more. That plays right into Kyle Schwarber's game, and it's turned him into this, like, Paul Bunyan type thing where he's just jacking balls out of the park at will with this new found, like, Persona of Leadoff Schwarber. It's like, who? Which is stronger, Hoodie Mello or Leadoff
2: Schwarber? I would have to say at this point, Hoodie Mello. I, 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 look, as a Syracuse person, like as a Syracuse student, I can't not pick Carmelo. I understand. I understand you. I
3: feel you. I mean, don't forget, Hoodie Mello popularized while he was on my team. I I get it, but. I'm going to go Schwarber here. And I think nine ish, or not nine exactly, but once we have enough people that we can build an all hall of fame roster, all hall of fame lineup, Kyle Schwarber will be batting lead off for
2: that team. Yeah. You know, you, you uh, brought up the point. You said, how come um, more teams didn't, or, you know, aren't trying to do something like this. How come more teams didn't try to sign this guy? I mean, Thank you. <laughs> a career, oh, no, please, because we were going to, but we can't go over the tax. But then <laughs> Hal Steinbrenner said in the Zoom press conference the other day, oh, it's like, if I have to go over the tax, that's fine. Oh, so that's why we traded away uh, Adam who who's now got seven saves for your rival. To our biggest rival, so that way we could go out and sign Justin Wilson, who correction sucks. Hate that guy. Hate watching.
3: Correction. First off, he's not as bad as Andrees. So save your breath.
2: No, no, you you have not watched just Justin Wilson allowed a walk off home run to. Robbie Grossman and ever since we got swept by the Tigers the season's been over so Brandon
3: have you ever tried to sw- tried to watch Matt Andreese save a game
2: all right yeah but his save you got put
3: in a freaking save all right that still is just aggravating me like it was one game in the course of 162 games but you bring Yaxel Rios in in the eighth inning
2: I mean like there's going to be some games where you just like have no other choice.
3: You did have choices, Brandon. You had you you could have started the inning with Darwins and Hernandez
2: who but you got to prepare for the next day too. Like you can't just burn all your good relievers. No, no, no. Brandon, all like, in the same day you can't go all Cubs on them.
3: No, but what you're going to you're going to hear an incredibly logically inconsistent f- from what you're saying. Like yeah, that makes sense. However, if he stuck with it, so he goes to Yaxel Rios, it doesn't go well. He then brings in Darwins and Hernandez, who is the last person I really want put into a game when there's runners on base. And right, that's the last person. I don't want Andres in there, maybe Rios, but Darwins and Hernandez has more than a tendency to just walk as many batters as humanly possible. And what do you think happened when he had runners on base? He walked as many runners as humanly possible and it just made things worse. They end up ha- then, then they bring Adovino in for the ninth. So Rios got two outs. You could have easily just had him go for the four out save if you're going to bring him in for a ninth with no save opportunity. And then you get hung out to dry with Matt Andrees to save the game in the eleventh.
2: That's tough. It all could have
3: it all could have been avoided with two different moves: Hernandez instead of Rios, or Adavino instead of Hernandez. But I digress. Yeah, don't forget you pay you paid the Red Sox to take taken.
2: and Hernandez uh, in 2020. Well, he only pitched eight innings. Here's here's a better just stat. He's pitched 65 innings in his career, uh, 7.8 walks per nine. So walking about a batter per inning. Uh, yeah, not but not ideal. It's not ideal, but the stuff's so good that you can't. The stuff's good, but you when you. You I can't don't hate know. it. No, no. At you 24, can't, you,
3: can't, you can't hate it.
2: No. Hopefully he, you know, that's the way that the, that that Adellin Batanzas was. <laughs> I don't think his numbers were ever that high for walks, but they were up there. Like, yeah, we had a, we had a high high fours. We had a almost a seven one year, or excuse me, we had a yeah almost a seven. So it happens. Uh, but as for the Nationals, we got a little sidetracked. As for Kyle Schwarber, what I was saying, why didn't more teams try and sign this guy? Because, in my opinion. Like, who wouldn't want a lefty power bat who who draws walks? Yes, he's going to strike out, but he's, like, pretty much a lock to hit you 30 bombs. Hit Over his career, his 162-game average, he averages 38 home runs. I mean, this guy has a career, 118 OPS plus, had a 113 OPS plus with the Cubs. I've never seen a league where you you can offer a guy like him $7 million for one year with a 113 career OPS plus. Yeah, we see a guy like Jackie Bradley Jr. Who, yes, I understand his defensive value, but that guy is not a good hitter whatsoever. Uh, Kyle Schwarber is miles ahead of this guy in terms of hitting and what kind of contract did, did he get? Like he got way more money per Seven. year, right? He got, he got uh, two years, $24 million. Uh, he, he's got a player option in his contract. Kyle Schrober got a one year deal with a mutual option for the, for 2022 and he got 7 million. So good find by the nationals. I mean, you can look at any of the stats I just feel like that was an overpay for Jackie Bradley jr and underpay for Kyle Schwarber and LJ, you make a great point. Yeah. Juan Soto is awesome. And we certainly love him. And he's one of our favorite players, but with what he's been doing, with what Kyle Schwarber has been doing out of the, the leadoff spot. I mean, it would be dumb to not pick him, especially because we haven't seen anything really like this and that's what's made. That's been one of the big things this year. So absolutely. I'm okay with picking Kyle Schwarber.
3: All right. Yeah. So I think we will agree on Kyle Schwarber as our nominee. He will go on to the final round in which a person from every single team will make it into the top, the top 30 and will be whittled down ruthlessly to one person by the end of the playoffs to be announced And yeah, I think him um, also an honorable mention, in addition to Soto, Trey Turner, the dude does the zoom, the the dude does the zoomies.
2: He is very, very quick and uh, needs to be talked about more when people talk about like the top five shortstops in the league, just criminally underrated his entire career, criminal, had his third career cycle the other day too, which he's only 28, already three career cycles, and uh, yeah, he's actually hitting for power this year for all the haters who were saying he can't hit for power. So that dude is a freaking stud. Yes, sir.
3: All right, now on to the last thing.
2: Yeah. Uh, would would you like to explain it or shall I? Uh... You
3: can. You're, it was your idea.
2: All right. We have a new segment uh, that I want to debut. Basically... So LJ came up with a name for it. Small talk, Smackdown. We have a wheel that LJ is going to spin on his computer that has all 30 MLB teams on it. And essentially whatever team pops up, LJ and I need to have a small talk. Just, we need to, it would, let's say you were standing in an elevator and another person walked in and they had on a random MLB teams hat and, of course, you know, you have this a common interest in baseball and you want to chat them up. Well, you see they have a White Sox hat on or a Cardinals hat on or a Padres hat on. You got to know something about those teams to talk about. So, you know, what are you talking about in the elevator with so-and-so? So, LJ and I, I've figured, let's just make a wheel. We'll put ourselves on the spot here and just do a little elevator talk for one of these teams. It only has to be about a minute, not a very long segment at all, but I think it's a cool way to uh, wrap up the show every few days is it'll allow us to talk about another team at random, hopefully one that we didn't touch on in the episode, but even if we did uh, still should allow us to have some cool talking points within that minute and uh, really get you the nitty gritty on what's going on with the team. So, uh, LJ, yeah. Without further ado, shall we spin it or? Uh... Yeah,
3: Brandon, you want to go first. Or also, are we doing uh, thirty seconds each leading the conversation, or one minute for each leading conversation?
2: Uh, you know, I would say as for time, uh, we we don't really need to be strict on it. And as for like leading the conversation, we can both can contribute. But I figured if we. Oh, just so did... are we doing
3: only only doing one?
2: Yeah, one team. That's, we're putting ourselves on the spot. So one team. Okay. Let's just try it. I think, I think, I think that this could, could work out good. Yeah. All right. Ready? Yeah. Who is it?
3: The Cincinnati Reds.
2: All right. Uh, Cincinnati. Well, they just picked up a win tonight against the Royals, and you know, I'm actually happy we got the Reds because I want to talk about well, this one guy, Luis Castillo. LJ, have you seen what this guy has been doing lately? Uh, his last couple of starts, he has been absolutely killing it. And I think if you're in the elevator and you're talking to a Reds fan, you're saying, how about what Castillo has been doing lately? You know, at that terrible start, he comes back, absolutely shoves during the month of June, where he had a 1.71 ERA in 31 innings. Uh, Castillo shoving, as for the starting rotation, uh, starting to come around a bit, uh, of course, led by Castillo. And can't forget about the offense. But, you know, the other big talking point is, the two all star guys, of course.
3: Yeah, I mean, more on this on Castillo. I mean, you talk about his first, like his last couple outings. Um, how about his overall general trends here? Because the general trend theoretically shouldn't be nearly as bad as this is. They were talking about one of the worst pitchers in the month of May, like up in the sevens coming out of May. And yet this guy's now down to a 508 ERA, but he's got a 3.94 fielding independent pitching. So within the factors he can control, he's a sub four guy on a lot of teams, particularly lesser teams. That's enough. That's plenty to get you the number two starter role. So this guy, while he has not been on the top of his game, he is certainly, he certainly is underperforming what he has been doing numbers wise. And you will not. You will not only see him play better, but the numbers reflect that better as the season goes on.
2: You know, and not just him, but like I said, these these other starters are coming around too. Sonny Gray back from injury, he's rocking a three point two seven ERA uh, this year. Wade Miley, uh, he's rocking a three point oh six in eighty eight innings. Tyler Miley's at a three six three in eighty nine innings. Those are really solid, you know, stats. And, of course, ERA is not the be-all, end-all, but it's a good baseline, at least to start at. And Tyler Molly absolutely shoving. 112 Ks to 31 walks. Absolutely, I think the story right now is what this starting pitching is doing and how it's supplementing this offense. I mean, four games above 500. they they're only six games back of the Brew Crew, who now lost two in a row after winning 11 in a row. Yeah, uh, if I'm with a Reds fan right now, I'm talking about the starting pitching and how they have a legit chance to try to catch up to the Brewers here as they have four games against them right before the all-star break. So yeah, that's a huge series for 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 both teams. All right. Well, that will wrap up Small Talk SmackDown. Yeah, uh the first Small Talk SmackDown. Uh Certainly like doing that, but yeah, that's a that's huge for those two teams. Four games right before the all-star break. We can see the Reds potentially if the Brewers lose out, the Reds could be in first place at the all-star break. Wouldn't that okay. be something?
3: Okay, bud.
2: hey, they could. Is it's possible if right they sweep here. them? Looks like they're gonna avoid uh Burns and Woodruff in all four in the four games so at least the projected starter right now but yeah that'll do it for uh, today's edition of MLB Daily thank you for listening check us out on TikTok and Twitter at MLB Daily Pod play the trivia game on Twitter and uh yeah thank you for listening once again appreciate the support and we will see you tomorrow
1: go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready.